Because motor vehicles drive on the left, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Hi, I'm Big. And I am White. And together, we are Big and White. And you are listening to the Big and White Podcast, a podcast where we explore what it means to be a foreigner in Asia. So what are we talking about today, Big? We are talking about what it's like to be a foreigner not in Asia. <laughs> well, we're straying from our podcast tagline. We're getting so rebellious. I know, it's crazy. Yeah, we're going to talk about what it's like to visit a country that maybe is culturally a little more similar to our own and what that's like, how we experience that differently from being in Nepal and other parts of Asia. Yeah, but before we get to that, and before we get to what we did this week, big, we have an anniversary to celebrate. Oh my gosh, you're right, we do! How could I have forgotten? You guys, we are celebrating one year of podcasting, big and white. One year of being the weirdos who don't have names. <laughs> we have, like, adjectives instead. Oh my gosh, can I tell you how many people have asked me, oh, big and white? Is that in reference to the Himalayas? <laughs> No, but I guess that makes sense. <laughs> That's hilarious. So I was thinking, now that we have, you know, been doing the podcast for a whole year, maybe we should change what Big and White means. Each year we can have a different theme. Yeah. So now our theme is the Himalayas. We're really narrowing it down. Our podcast is going to change too, so now it's just about, like, environmental conservatism? What the crap am I saying? Conservationism? Conservation. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, let's keep the Himalayas big and white. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, exciting. Those of you who have been listening to us for a whole year, you're amazing. Those of you who just found us and binged all of our episodes and just got to this one, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you are also amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, happy anniversary, right? Yeah. You gonna take me out for dinner? Oh, girl, you know it. You got something special planned? Next year, maybe. <laughs> It'll be a little belated. Is that cool? <laughs> yeah. Like circa January or February, maybe. Yep, exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, other than celebrating a podcasting anniversary, what have you done this week, Big? What's happening? Dude, I have been traveling all over North America. I drove from North Dakota to Minneapolis to Duluth to Saskatoon. Saskatoon, Do yes. Do you even know where that is? To Edmonton, to Calgary, to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, to Portland. Wow. Yeah, it was an epic trip. All in your adorable car. Yes, and I had the top down for so much of it, and it felt so good. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Do you have one big dread for hair now? No, I've been wearing a hat, <laughs> and I didn't even get sunburn. Aren't you proud of me? Yeah. <laughs> I thought for sure that would happen. I was like, well, it's inevitable. Yeah, right. My friend gave me 100 SPF sunscreen, <laughs> and that really Really did wonders. It's a true Californian right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it was really interesting to see like the change of landscape as I drove, mm. the change in how people drive, like driving culture and how the roads are laid out. Like, that was a really big thing that I didn't really expect is how different the roads are, how different people drive. People are terrible drivers in Minneapolis. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> 
yeah, uh, Duluth is super mm. beautiful. If you haven't been there, highly recommend it. It's a small city, but it's pretty hip. And then most of the part I drove of Canada was flat. But then south of Calgary is just amazing. Mm-hmm. The Canadian Rockies. It's curvy roads through beautiful mountains. Oh. And then you get down to Oregon and you go through the Columbia Gorge. <laughs> I was so pleased to be in Oregon and get to Portland. Yay! Yeah, it was a really fun trip. I got to see a bunch of people that I haven't seen for a really long time. And I got to see more of Canada. So that was awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. I love that drive. I did the opposite way. I only went from BC to Calgary, like through the rock. Oh, you did? My friend and I who were in the car, we just for pretty much like eight hours straight, every time we would go around a bend, we'd be like, "Ah!" (laughs) like, we'd just be like overwhelmed over and over again. So if you guys haven't ever gone to the Canadian Rockies and you get the chance, you need to choose your road trip buddy very carefully because (laughs) the enthusiasm levels need to match or else it's going to be sad. (laughs) True. I I honestly think it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Yeah. Are you staying put for a little bit? No, no, of course not. (laughs) I got invited to a conference. I'm going to Germany next week like you do. And then I have a wedding and then I'll be going to LA to visit my family a little bit. So, yep, still living out of a suitcase, but it's worth it. It still blows my mind that you've been back in the States for as long as you have and you still haven't made it back to L.A. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I will. I made it a priority. I got to hit that beach while it's still good weather. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I want that. Mm -hmm. Everyone does. Mm. (laughs) But yeah, how was your week, right? Well... My week is just going to continue on into the entire point of this podcast, which is part of the reason that we planned it to be this episode in the first place. But I just got back from a month in the UK, which I think we talked up a lot the last couple episodes because I've been so excited for this trip for so (laughs) long. And it finally happened, you guys. Like, I am back now in my house in Kathmandu. Congratulations for going on the trip and welcome home to Nepal. Thank you. It was a little bit rough to like transition back to Nepal. I'm not going to lie. Like I really loved my time in the UK. I love spending so much time with these friends and it was just absolutely beautiful and a great time. And I was and I'm like starting to do better now. Like I'm getting back into routine of Nepal, of my Mm -hmm. work and like working out and seeing people and stuff. So last night, Indy and Moon, who you guys might remember from being guests on the podcast, we all watched an episode of Downton Abbey together. Oh. Oh, no. Which you guys probably know, but if you don't know, it's set in England, uh, not that far away from London, actually. And so I watched this and I'm like, this isn't doing wonders for me wishing I was back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Made me really miss the UK again. I'm like, why didn't I even go to like whatever the house is that they filmed Downton Abbey at? Why didn't I go to that? I don't even know. You should (sighs) have. Well, you did lots of other magical things, so no regrets. Yeah. So, speaking of going to the UK, I want to hear more about your trip, but I have a feeling that you will talk about it as we talk about the topic of this week's episode. Oh, yeah. I'll bring it up every chance I get, even if it has no bearing on the actual topic. So, don't you worry. (laughs) So, yeah, we're talking about what it's like to go to a country that is more similar to the one that you grew up in and how that's kind of a different expat or tourist experience, but it's still different. (laughs) (laughs) 
Same, same, but different. Yeah, same, same, but different. I mean, I was just spent like a couple weeks in Canada and I've been to the UK as well. And more recently, I've been in the Netherlands a couple of times. How about you? Like what, what are some countries that you feel like fall into that category for you? I would say that the UK has definitely been the most noteworthy because I spent the most time there. But I have been in Canada. I guess that's it. Oh, I've been to Australia too. I think that counts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those Aussies, gotta love them. <laughs> yeah, okay, so that's a pretty good number of countries that we have in our, like, sample size for comparison of sticking out, but, or I mean, not sticking out, but kind of. I mean, let's just dive right into it. The good, the bad, the pros and cons of being in a country with a similar culture compared to your own passport country. Right. First off, the most obvious con to me is that you're still a tourist <laughs> in this new country. This is a weird topic, I feel like, for expats, like people who live in other countries, because we don't really like being tourists. Mm -hmm. I mean, in Nepal, we spend a lot of time defending the fact that we're not tourists here. Like, we're here doing research. We live here. <laughs> we're not just, like, going back home after a month like we pay rent here you know so then that's kind of like in your mindset when you go to another country right. you're like true yeah i'm not a tourist and they're like well yeah you're only here for a couple weeks you kind of are I'm like no i can't be <laughs> <laughs> that's true it's very much an identity thing and like we're used to associating the word tourist with a more negative pattern yeah. of behavior so then we're like we don't want to be tourists no <laughs> <laughs> yeah like anytime that i would go into central london i I would come back and I would be so grumpy because it was just it's so jam packed full of people. And I'd come back and be like, oh, my gosh, all these freaking tourists were in my way. They had no idea where they were going. They kept like stopping in the middle of the street, checking their phone. And I would like run into them. My British friends are like, OK, well, you're also a tourist, though. And I'm like, no, it can't be. I'm not. I also didn't know where I was going, but I didn't look stupid about it. Like that in my mind was the defining fact. Okay, but here's like the flip side of that. You are better at traveling than other tourists, maybe. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, hopefully. After living as an expat, you've probably traveled a lot or just the experience of adjusting to a new place wherever you live. You've learned to be adaptable and you've learned it. There's like a meta skill of being good at learning a new place, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> like, I remember my when I went to Australia, I was going through there for a wedding, and so my friend's mom was there as well and she doesn't have a lot of experience traveling she lives in the states and she doesn't live somewhere with a lot of public transportation they live in kind of a rural area and she was like so impressed with me that i was gonna take the train somewhere <laughs> like, i don't know i feel like trains are the same all over the world you just figure out which train to take and you know mm -hmm. but that made me really think about the fact that like not just knowing the public transportation in one city but being able to adapt to whatever place you go to and kind of figure out the system is a skill unto itself. Yeah, that is true. I mean, I guess also if you live, as maybe especially if you live somewhere in like Asia where the culture is very different than your own like particular Western culture, like even going somewhere like, I mean, for the UK for me, that to me is not so much like me going to a crazy new culture to experience it. It's like me 
going somewhere that's kind of familiar mm-hmm. and like I know that I can handle even though I haven't necessarily been there before. Right, yeah. Instead of being like, ooh, I'm going to go to the UK and like and see all these exotic things. I'm like, I'm going to go to the UK and I get to go grocery shopping. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. That's true. But also at the same time, it still is a different culture. You know, it's not the same as your home culture that you grew up in. It's not the same as the culture that you're living in. We've talked about this on the podcast before, but it can be easy to get tricked into thinking you're not going to have cultural mismatches or culture adjustment issues if you go somewhere where people look the same as you generally. Mm-hmm. You know, like I mentioned my friend from New Zealand who moved to Canada and like had a really bad culture shock, <laughs> partly because she wasn't expecting it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, totally. But I mean, the same thing happens when you're just there for a short amount of time as well. That's definitely like I don't know. I guess you would call it a con of going somewhere like the UK is having to figure out kind of navigate another culture and know that you're going to have some kind of misunderstanding. Sometimes when it's really similar to your own culture, you don't realize that you're having a mismatch of understanding. Yeah. It's more like, oh, well, why are they being so nice? This is weird. <laughs> like, oh, it's just a cultural difference. <laughs> <laughs> is that your North Dakota cross-cultural experience? I was thinking of Canada, but yeah, same in North Dakota too. <laughs> Probably more like, they're like, why is this girl so rude? not me it's my culture maybe i don't even know anymore (laughs) but one aspect of being somewhere that you're basically still a tourist in but it's like pretty similar to your own culture is that you're not gonna go home like for us like we might go home once a year and you're like inundated with people that you want to hang out with and who want to hang out with you oh yeah and that can get kind of exhausting but if you're like somewhere with maybe like i went to visit friends and those are the only people i knew in the entire country (laughs) were these three people and then I went and saw another friend in Edinburgh but you know like that's it Mm -hmm. I had so much free time to just relax and like do my own thing and kind of like recover from a crazy work season and stuff than I would have had I gone back to Arkansas for the summer right true that's interesting another con for me I don't know if you share in this and I don't know if this is a universal experience But one of my favorite things about going back to the U.S. or my passport country is that moment when you get to immigration and the guy looks at your passport and you have this feeling like, this is the passport. This is my permission. (laughs) And it says that I belong here and you're going to let me in. Mm -hmm. And it feels so good to kind of like, like have that sense of entitlement. Yeah. It's like my favorite part of traveling, (laughs) minus seeing your family and hugging them and whatever, blah, 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 yuck. All of that. No, it was funny. I visited a friend in Canada who lives in Asia as well. And because of the way his visa works, he has to travel every like 90 days or something. And he always has to have a bunch of paperwork with him. And he said he arrived in Canada and he's like, something's missing. I don't know. Like, oh, I don't have any paperwork. Oh, I don't need it. This is my country. <laughs> like, what a relief. You know what I did learn, though? Apparently, only at American immigration do they say, welcome home when they let you in. What? Yeah, they don't do that in Canada. So I'm so sorry, Canadians. You're really missing out. One time in Canada, when I was coming back into Vancouver, the guy said, welcome back to me. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) That felt amazing. (laughs) Um, Actually, when I was entering into the UK, so I go up to the immigration officer and he looks at my passport photo and he looks at me and looks at my passport photo and looks at me and then looks at my passport photo. Mm -hmm. And he's like, this is a really bad photo. Like, I know, honestly, it's so bad. Like you guys, 
my passport photo makes me look like Voldemort. <laughs> it's so bad. Like, I've had this. I've been traveling on this photo <laughs> since 2011, I think. And it's just like me, who's already white, <laughs> completely whitewashed to the point where, like, you can't even see the outline of my eyes. It's just, like, blue and then my <laughs> nostrils. How did they even allow that to happen? I don't know. Because honestly, if I saw this photo, like if I saw that person, I would not want to let them into my country. <laughs> she does not look trustworthy. But he's the first person who's ever said anything. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. But he was just like, just go. Just go on through. <laughs> like resign. Oh, man. I had a dramatic, exciting experience going into Canada. <laughs> This was when I was in North Dakota. I was just going for the weekend, just visiting. I get to the border and I just stupidly had not really thought through my answers. So the guy at the border was like, where do you live? And I was like, nowhere. <laughs> and he looked at me and he shook his head and he was like, do not say that to a border agent. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> so then he starts asking me about my life, you know, and he's like, like, where do you actually live? And I'm like, okay, well, I'm in North Dakota, but I do you want, like, my permanent address or, like, my mailing address? <laughs> he's like, what do you mean? He's like, I don't want anything from you anymore. <laughs> like, well, I actually live in Nepal. And he's like, what? <laughs> and he kept asking me questions. And I just felt like the more honest I was with my answers, the <laughs> worse it got. <laughs> Oh, man. And then he, like, clearly thought I stole the car. And he was like, whose car is this? Where did you buy it? How much did you pay for it? And I I had the title <laughs> with me. So I was like, look, it's mine. <laughs> he asked me, like, what I had in the car, which the car has the smallest trunk in the universe. Like, there's clearly nothing in my car. <laughs> he asked me three times if I had cannabis, twice if I had any weapons. Like, dude, a handgun wouldn't fit in this glove box, I'm telling you. <laughs> He was super sketched out by me. And then he was like, well, when are you going back to the States? And I was like, Sunday. And he's like, why? <laughs> I have to go to work on Monday. <laughs> he just like, oh, yeah, did not trust me farther than he could throw me. He finally just shook his head and said, you can go, I guess. Uh, I feel like he just enjoyed that. Maybe he did. Maybe he was just like milking it for all it was worth. <laughs> well, then on the way back to the States, the lady was super nice. She's like, oh my God, you're a linguist? How many languages do you speak? Which one was the hardest to learn? Tell me more. Like She was super interested in me. And I was like, thank you. Yeah, right. Home. I belong here. I can be here. <laughs> I, I guess like at least when you're, you know, you're like entering back into Nepal, I almost had that same feeling, but I had paperwork with me mm. to be like, look, mm -hmm. this is my visa. Lisa, you know, like I'm like ready right, to defend yeah. it at any time. Mm -hmm. But usually Nepali immigration officers are super friendly. Mm -hmm, yeah, They see that you have a research visa, so then they'll speak Nepali to you. And that felt really good, actually. So I felt a little bit more like antagonized at the UK customs than in Nepal. Interesting. That's really interesting. But can I just tell you one of my most favorite parts about being in the UK, like the most instant thing, mm -hmm. was that I knew which way to look before I crossed the street. <laughs> this is a big deal. <laughs> That's true. Anytime I go back to the States, I like will look to the right because motor, oh, what do you call it? Cars. Because motor vehicles drive on the left, wouldn't you say? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, vehicles drive on the left side here as they do in the UK, but not as they do in America. So anytime I go to America, then I look the wrong way and then I freak out like once I've already stepped into the street and I'm like, I'm going to die one day. This is how I'm going to die. Oh, no. But I didn't have to worry about that. There was no adjustment. It was amazing. That's wonderful. I feel like I've just gotten into a habit of no matter what country I'm in, I look like four yeah. times. Like, you know, like, <laughs> this way? This way? No. This way? No. This way? Okay. Am I good? Yeah. It's like a cartoon character and everyone else is already like in the middle of the road. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did. I was stayed in Calgary. There's like this really weird road system where they turned it from two ways into one ways. Mm. And I had this panic moment i know i got to this intersection where it's a one-way but there's cars coming straight toward you also a one-way and then you're like turning it's terribly designed that doesn't make sense to me but okay like cars are coming at me head on into the intersection (laughs) but like we both had to turn i don't know i was traumatized and had a moment where i was like am i supposed to be on the left side side? i don't know Also in Calgary, this is something, so I mentioned this a little bit in the, when I said how my travels were, but I found it really interesting how really subtle differences in the way traffic flows and traffic is indicated were really hard to adjust to. Mm. So like, for example, their one-way signs Mm -hmm. are just an arrow. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say one way. And like, I don't know why, but it was like really hard for me. Like I would look at the sign and I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. But the other one that was so funny that really freaked me out for a long time was when they have two lanes merging together into one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The lane that's going away doesn't go away. It just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller, like <laughs> into infinity. <laughs> Like, there's no clear moment where you should not be in that lane anymore and you should just be in the other lane. (laughs) It's like, well, now my car is too wide for the lane. I don't know. And now I'm just driving on the dotted white lines and that feels wrong. (laughs) But I realized, once I got to the States, I realized the only difference is our dotted lines just stop. Mm. Like, it's not like the angle of the entry is different or anything. It's just such a simple thing. It's like there were d- little dots on the ground that made me freak out and not yep, know what to yep. do. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just like doing all that driving really made me think about driving in any place is its own language and its own oh, culture, yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. And when you like, I've noticed the driving culture in LA has changed a lot in the last like 10, 15 years. And I think part of it is because we've had a lot of people moving there, like a lot of immigrants. So they don't like learn the same driving culture as someone maybe would who grew up there. Mm-hmm. It changes like all of your expectations and stuff. Hmm. Did you try driving in the UK? (laughs) No. (laughs) I was in London for about half my time. And then the other time I was like traveling around the UK. And nothing could have enticed me to try driving in London. I'll tell you that. Like, even if I lived there, I don't know if I would drive there. I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, all of my friends that I was with, they own cars and they drive. But it's scary. Like, one of the scariest things, I think, in some of the traffic lights, you'll have two lanes that are, you know, going straight through the light. And then without warning, then you merge into one lane after the light. Mm. Most people do it. 
but sometimes it gets a little bit hairy. Oh, no. I don't like that very much. Just any dense city driving seems like it'd be really hard. Yeah. But I did take a lot of public transit, which was so fun for me because I definitely am not from somewhere that has public transit. Like, I grew up very, very rural area. If you don't own your own car, it's it's just a terrible experience, basically. I've tried to do that, and it doesn't work. It's like it's more important to have a car than a house, I feel like. Yeah, it really is. So it was really fun for me to be in the UK and to be able to be like, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to pop up to Edinburgh. Yep, I'll just take the train. And Mm -hmm. there's an app for me to be able to see how exactly to do that. I know. It's so nice with smartphones. So easy. Yeah. The bus systems are really good. Trains, the underground, like it was all super smooth for me. Congratulations. It was just different enough that it was like kind of exciting. Mm -hmm. Yep. Not so much that it was scary. Although I will say after being in London and experiencing London's like really smooth transit system, I know people in London complain about it, but come to Kathmandu and we'll show you. (laughs) You will never complain again. (laughs) Try and find an app for you to be able to figure out where a tempo is for you to get on and go across the city. There's not one. But anyway, I went up to Edinburgh and that was like way more difficult to be able to get around in. Like Mm. they don't really have a a good app. And I sound so entitled too, but like (laughs) after London, it was just really hard. The app is isn't good and so then and they also have like different bus systems that you have to like you have tickets for certain bus systems and they're a little bit irregular and most of the buses don't like say you know like next stop prince's street station (laughs) you have to like strategically plan where you're gonna sit so that you're low enough to be able to read what that bus stop is yeah like the sign outside (laughs) because most places you can't read it you're and you're like okay i'm supposed to ride 10 stops (laughs) you're often in a double decker too so if you're not right in front of a window upstairs then you're kind of like just up a creek i definitely had some bad experiences with that and my friends who I stayed with shout out to them because they're podcast listeners are awesome but they're from New York I mean they lived in New York Mm. before they moved to Edinburgh so they're like Mm. they know they really miss public transit in New York (laughs) like I missed it from London it's hard when you live in a city with good public transit and then you move to one that doesn't have it the challenge yep totally but then you don't take it for granted you know you appreciate it that's for sure here's something that maybe you haven't experienced as much but it was making me think about when you were talking about the announcements on the bus Mm -hmm. is when you travel to a country where you look like you belong there but the language isn't english (laughs) yep (laughs) when you're in asia or you know africa or whatever if you're white people look at you and they're like oh foreigner and they try to speak english with you they know you're not gonna understand them like when i was in holland People would walk up to me and start talking, and I was like, oh, no, I don't know what to do. (laughs) I mean... I think it's pretty clear. You just say, I'm so sorry I don't speak Dutch. But for some reason, like, I was really afraid to do that. So I was always just like, freeze up. Like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Just try to do my whole transaction with the cashier without saying anything. Like, hand them money. Like, (laughs) (laughs) In Amsterdam, there's a lot of stuff in English. But once you get outside of Amsterdam and uh, the Netherlands, then everything's in Dutch. And so I got on this train that had a mechanical issue or something. Oh, there was something on the tracks. But I didn't know. I couldn't understand the announcements on the train so we got to one station and like people had been getting on and off the whole time you know and i was just kind of sitting there reading my book and then suddenly the train started going 
the direction we had come from. No. (laughs) Oh, no. And I didn't have internet on my phone. So I was trying to figure out what happened. And there was no one on the train because they had all gotten off to get on like a bus to go around the problem on the track. So I couldn't even ask anyone. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So I just had to sit on the train until the next stop, which was a long way because it was an express. (laughs) Get off. Like wander around the train station until I found someone who spoke English. I'm like, what's happening? (laughs) That's tragic. It was tragic. Then after that, then I was like paranoid. So then every time I got on a train, I would like try to talk to the person next to me and like see if they spoke English so that I could ask them like what to do. Good. Like if something goes down, I have identified an English speaking person. (laughs) At least like tell them like which stop you're getting off at. So then they can like look at you nervously if you miss it. Right. Yeah. So wait, this being your first experience, well, I guess you've been to Canada, but you kind of lived there. Yeah. So this being your first experience being a tourist in a country that's pretty similar to your home country, Mm -hmm. what did you find that maybe surprised you or like was unexpected about your experience? Well, I actually kind of had prepped myself for it to be more different and more stressful than it ended up being. Mm, Interesting. And I think part of the reason that it ended up being as easy as it was is because I was hanging out with people who knew my context. So the friends that I was staying with in London, there's a married couple and then there's a single gal. All three of us met here in Kathmandu and like bonded in our shared Nepal experience. Mm. Yeah. And so they know me really well. And they're very well traveled as well. Mm-hmm. You know what? Just nice people in general, too. So they didn't want to like stress me out with anything. <laughs> they knew how to compensate for things that, you know, like if I accidentally call what they would say trousers pants, they're not going to be like, haha, that's hilarious. She's talking about underwear. She's like, no, you're American. We know what you're talking about. You know, where not everyone would know to do that and when I got back also somebody who was married to a British guy an American lady married to a British guy was like so did anybody call America the colonies or call you a colonist (laughs) and I'm like no she's like well that's because you hung out with people who know Americans really well Cool. <laughs> like, oh, okay. That's funny. <laughs> so yeah, it ended up being just fun for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect to enjoy grocery stores as much as I <laughs> did. I feel like you should have expected that. Be- well, I was like a little bit afraid. I didn't want to get my hopes up too much because I didn't know what would be available. Right. Couldn't be like, oh, well, I'm going to be able to eat this thing because I'm like, well, it's yeah, it's just going to be different. Those Brits, you never know. And they're probably not going to have like humongous Walmarts where you can get everything. But I did end up eating so many berries and things that either you don't have access to here or they're really expensive. Yes. Did you eat stone fruit? Oh, yeah. Peaches, nectarines. More like British raspberries and blueberries Mm. than anything, I think. But yeah. Honestly, like one time I went to like, I had been going to all these small little shops and then I went to a supermarket that was bigger and I was having so much fun. I was cooking dinner for my friend who I was staying with. And so I was like going around and like deciding what I was going to get. And of course I don't get a basket. So my (laughs) entire like arms are just getting full of this stuff. But I'm just like so excited about all these things that I forgot existed, you know. (laughs) And um, and I'm like kind of talking to myself a little bit like, oh, well, maybe. 
maybe I should get the artichokes, but I don't know. I also like I don't have I don't usually get to have Brussels sprouts. So would Brussels sprouts <laughs> go better with this lemon pepper chicken or you know, I'm like kind of muttering to the point where a lady who was some kind of mentally ill <laughs> also saw me as like a bird of a feather. And like, like, we were just in the same aisle, just kind of like muttering together. And then she looks at me and she's like, all excited. And I'm like, uh Oh, I've gone too far. People can hear me when I'm talking to myself. Because <laughs> I'm kind of used to Nepal, like Katmandu has so much noise and stimuli going on all the time, mm-hmm. that I can walk down the street and kind of like talk to myself. And yes, it's weird. And I should think about it. But people <laughs> can't hear me but they can hear you in the co-op oh it's very quiet there so yeah me and this crazy lady bonded well wait i'm glad that you're back in a country where you can talk to yourself and you won't attract crazy people (laughs) yeah thank heavens Yeah, okay. So I have a question for you, Big. Maybe this pertains a lot to now, too, because I'm kind of curious. But how do you stay connected to Nepal while you're traveling? Or do you feel that kind of like Nepal identity still, even when you're traveling, like somewhere in a vastly different context? Yeah, I think part of it is time. The longer I'm gone, the less connected I feel. Mm -hmm. But I mean, people I'm visiting know that I live in Nepal. So they're projecting that identity onto me, right? Mm -hmm. And I also, it's kind of a way that I explain away weird behavior. (laughs) Like I've always liked sitting on the ground, but now I like have a reason, you know? So it's like, (laughs) I'm staying with this family and they were like, oh, there's no chair in your bedroom. Is that okay? And I was like, ah, yeah, actually I like sitting on the ground anyway. And they looked at me like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, you know, because I've been living in Asia, I'm used to it. And they were like, ah, that's amazing. feel like I can use it as sort of a way to explain away these things. And every time something like that comes up, it is a kind of fun reminder. Mm -hmm. I'm not really fully American anymore. I have these things that I do now or ways of doing things that I've adjusted to that I actually like better than the way I used to do it before I moved to Nepal. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess maybe this is giving advice to myself, but I should try to continue to focus on those things and remember them Mm. so that I don't lose that sense of identity and it was fun i mean you had this experience in the uk right visiting your friends who have lived in nepal when i was in calgary i was visiting someone who's lived in nepal and like he would notice things too Mm. like i would do something and he's like oh yeah nepal (laughs) oh you get this you understand (laughs) like yeah it feels very comforting somehow to have someone who's like yeah yeah i get it it's a nepal thing Something that just kind of um, struck me from my UK experience is that one of the ways I felt connected to Nepal was that it wasn't weird that I'm super pasty. (laughs) True. Yes. And I loved that. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Like, we went to the beach. We were there for like three days, I guess. And we got, I mean, we got sun, but it was never like sunny all day long. Mm-hmm. And so you're just like kind of laying in the mist waiting for it to like clear up, hopefully. Oh, God, that sounds awful. <laughs> everybody's just in the same boat like everybody's kind of pasty nobody is like there because they're instagram famous or something we're just kind of all like hey guys 
yeah, I hope I get enough vitamin D, too. The lifeguards are, like, bored (laughs) out of their freaking minds because no one's in the water. It's so cold. And I really appreciated that because it's not like that in America. I'm glad you enjoyed that horrifying experience. Yeah. But by the time, and I was a little bit sad to, like, go. Of course, it was really hard to leave my friends. But by the time that I left London, flew to Qatar. And by the time I get to Qatar, that's, like, where all the young Nepali guys guys who like work outside of Nepal, they'll work around Qatar. And so when you get to your terminal in Doha, oh my gosh, it's like you and then a plane full of young Nepali guys. Oh yeah. And it just feels like suddenly, you know, like I'm sad to leave the UK, but like, yes, I know this world. This is familiar to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was actually, it was good to get back, good to like get back into Kathmandu and again be like, oh yeah, I belong here. Yes, exactly. I know how to speak the language. I know how to like understand this culture again. I don't need to like process it as much. Mm. Good to be back. Wait, I'm so glad you had such a good time in the UK. But I'm also glad that you are back in Nepal and you're getting back into it because... I need you to be my Nepal connection. Yeah, it was weird, like, in podcast land, wasn't it? Yeah, it was weird having us both be not in Nepal. (laughs) Yeah. Like, we're not doing this very well. (laughs) Not even, like, in Asia, either of us. Like, we kind of failed at that. I know, so rebellious. (laughs) But anyway, I think it's time to move on to Mailbag. So, one of our Patreon patrons asked us this question recently. He said, I'm catching up on the podcast. So, where does written language play into language slash dialect slash accent distinction? For example, I might have trouble understanding a thick Scots accent, but could understand it perfectly if written by the same person. Great question. Is a good question. Yeah, actually, this is something that I've thought about a lot because our job is to take spoken languages, mostly that aren't written down, and test them with different people and see where they're understood and where they're not. Mm -hmm. So I always question, like, if English wasn't written down at all, and we tried to do a survey of world English, all the places it's spoken, how many different languages we would come up with? Oh my gosh, that's horrifying to think about, actually. (laughs) Right? Having a written form of your language means that the spoken version of your language won't change as fast over time. So having a written form is almost like an anchor that kind of holds it down. So it standardizes it, which also tends to make the language more similar across a broader area, right? Mm. If everyone uses the same written form, then they're likely to kind of mold their speech to be a little bit more similar to that form that they're used to reading and writing, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously, for example, with English, around the world, there's still really different accents or ways of speaking, sometimes to the point where it's actually a different like dialect, or maybe when you're speaking, you might use different grammar than you would when you're writing, you know, there's still a lot of variation, but it does make it so that we have exposure to a standard version. So we are probably able to negotiate speaking with each other better than we would if there was no written form. And written forms inform the way that language is divided up too. So when kind of linguists around the world are talking about, oh, are these two varieties different languages or are they the same? One of the factors that they take into account is do they have a writing system and is it shared between the two groups? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, you have languages like Mandarin, Chinese, and Cantonese. The written form Mm -hmm. is the same. So they would be able to read the same newspaper, but get a Mandarin speaker and a Cantonese speaker in the same room, and they wouldn't be able to understand each other. Right, which is so fascinating. Which is something that you can do if your language's written form is symbols like Chinese would be. It doesn't work so much if it's something like English. Right, it's not based on the sounds. It's not phonetic, right? It's uh, symbolic. Well, and there are there are places where the written form of the language isn't spoken by anyone. Yeah. Like Norwegian. Yeah. It's called Book Norwegian. And basically some linguists, like, I don't know, 100, 100, it must have been like 150 years ago, right? Mm. Went around Norway, like surveyed all the different dialects and was like, okay, I'm averaging them into this one version that I'm going to write down. And no one actually speaks this way, but it has similarities to all the different ways that people speak. Mm. And that's like still what they use for written language. It's amazing. It's amazing that they went along with that too. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know like <laughs> what that transition was like. Was that like a societal move? Was that like a government mandated move? Like how did that work? Right. So I hope that answers your question. It's totally just out of our brains. We didn't do any research. <laughs> So if there's more information on this topic that you guys know, mm-hmm. let us know and we will talk about it on another episode. We might even do some research, whatever. You catch us on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dudes. Well, thanks so much for listening for a whole year yeah. to us talking to each other. And don't forget to find us on all of the internet things. Yeah including Patreon. We are super duper grateful to our Patreon supporters. You guys really help make this possible. And yeah, thanks for listening. See you on the next episode, listeners. Big, I think I'm just gonna like hang up on you. Is that okay? Okay. Put the phone down. Yeah. Oh, you're you're hanging up on me? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I can hang up. I can hang up now. Okay. 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 All right. That sounds good. Yeah. All right. Okay, well, okay, we'll talk to you later. Okay, okay, bye, 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 bye.